Pokémon. It cannot be verbose. If he tried to oh, pull up oh, to yeah. me with that massage gun, like, R.I.P. My my wop because because <laughs> fuck. <sighs> Anyways, let's get started, shall we? Yes. Hi everybody. Hey. Yo. It's been a minute. Welcome to your favorite podcast. Anyways, how's your sex life? We are your slutty hosts. I'm Channa. And I'm Corey. Welcome to episode seventy-eight. Eight, we have to tell so. you guys, this is like our third attempt at recording this because first attempt, it it was like one o'clock in the morning, so we're like, okay, we'll just do it next week. That yeah. was then last week we tried recording. It was a wonderful recording, and then it was all really the audio got fucked up. And so here we are. So if you're hearing it, that means we successfully figured shit out, and we can finally and get this episode like, released. A quick fi- fifteen second recap of like the past two months. It's just been us moving and then us not having good computers. All of our yeah. computers are old, so they're they're having a trouble keeping up with Audacity and the recording while we're also talking through the internet. So literally every other time for the past six times that we've recorded, our audio has been corrupted, and yeah. we just don't have the money to drop seven hundred dollars to a thousand dollars on a new computer. But you know how we we could get that money is if you subscribe to me on OnlyFans. On OnlyFans, <laughs> thanks <fans>. everybody. <laughs> I'm I'm selling some tip picks for some podcast yeah, equipment. So yeah. OnlyFans.com/slash/aylas. Boom! Follow it. <laughs> Buy us some new computers. Will you get be? It. You it. could be mine and Corey's daddy or mommy, whatever you want us to call Ooh. you. You know, yeah, or whatever just, the fuck. You don't even need to have a gender. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, we don't give a fuck. Just give us money and we will and I will personally send you titty pics forever for the rest of your life. I'm gonna regret that. <laughs> that sentence right there. But for as long as I have an OnlyFans, you'll get some nice solid uh titty pics. So yes. bias computers. That's what we're that's what that's that, that's that's what, what, that's what we're be. saying. So I guess our only other announcement than that is that the other than our sex works announcement (laughs) the movie of the month is the haunting which is like if you we've all talked about the haunting of hill house which is the um netflix the like beautiful netflix show anthology show that is done by mike flanagan um he also did last week last year or not last year's last month's movie Uh, what are you doing I'm mixing a Moscow mule. Sorry. Jordan oh. gave it to me and I just drank <laughs> vodka. Um, so I just had So a- yeah. Um, it's called <laughs> The Haunting of Hill House. It is not the TV show though. It's the original 1963 film that was done off of the book. So yeah. there's been The Haunting. That's the 1963 version that we're doing. There's also been The Haunting, the 1999 version that has Owen Wilson and Liam Neeson. <laughs> random um, and combo. And Catherine Zeta-Jones as a bisexual. Even Yay. more of a random com- combo. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> they were like, that, oh. one is, that one's fun, but it's not great. It's sort of stupid. 
but it's fun uh, if you like appreciate stupid fun um and so we're watching the 1963 version it is in black and white but it is it is considered regularly the greatest supernatural haunted house film like the 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 greatest haunted house film not the greatest horror film but the greatest like haunted house film of all time it's just very iconic and classic um it might not be super duper scary because we are a more modern audience audience and some of the ways that they did story or acting and and did dialogue will be a little bit outdated but it's really good and it's really creepy and atmospheric and it's just really cool to watch and we'll be able Um, to appreciate it yeah, you'll be able to appreciate it. What I usually do for, I usually watch this about every year, just like I do Halloween. What I usually do is if I, or well, if, lol, when I do a Halloween craft, which I usually do like two or three a year, I usually will put like Halloween or, and uh, the haunting on in the background and just like watch that while I'm doing my craft. It's really fun. So yeah, just go and watch that movie online. It, it'll most likely be free in some places. Um, if not, I mean, it'll be like three or $4 to rent somewhere, maybe just two because it's an older movie. Um, yeah. And watch that movie. It's a really good one. The haunting. It's 1963. The, the haunt my pussy. It's really good. It's a really good one. Let's get into my, a spooky scoop. So wait, no, 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 no. It's your, it's your, I get into my faggot pack first. No, I do spooky scoop and you do faggot pack (gasps) and I do my second. Oh, you're right. I'm so stupid. You bitch. I'm a bitch. <laughs> you fucking bitch. I'm just kidding. You're not a bitch. I love you way too much to ever call you a bitch for reals. Ooh. Okay. So let's let's get into my spooky scoop. So today, Corey, I already sent you the link on our Facebook Messenger. Um, hold on. I'm drinking. Yeah. I sent you the link on Facebook. So if you can go ahead and click that link. Yeah, we are going to be figuring out our inner animal Dicks. tarot. So to do this, you are going to go to horoscope.com and you're going to search for the tarot inner animal on their little search search bar or just go under uh, the category tarot and find animal, whatever. There's like a million ways to find it, but just go to horoscope.com and like, you know, you'll get it. And that's where we are learning our inner animal. So you have to enter your first name, your date of birth, and then you click the button, discover your inner animal. And it will tell <sighs> you. Oh, I forgot. And then I remembered. It's it's the same as last time. What is your inner animal, Corey? So Please my tell. inner animal is the butterfly. Butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> it's cute. so cute. That um, is cute. Yeah. So it, it represents the Wheel of Fortune tarot card. Whichever that one that one is. Um, so Major it's beautiful but complex. You are the butterfly. Um, it says that I'm persistent and optimistic and that I, I'm i a great friend and yes. know people from all walks of life and struggle with the tendency to or I struggle with the tendency, however, to flit from one thing to another. So I'm fickle or I just like, you know, quickly will jump from one interesting thing to the next thing. Um, and I need to learn to appreciate all the wonderful things that I have, even in my worst of times. That's so cute. Now, do you agree with your inner animal tarot card? Yeah, I believe that's a pretty good, like, uh, assumption. That's not, like, a holistic view of who I am, but I would say most of those things are pretty correct. Yeah, totally. Okay, mine is the lion, which is the emperor card. Yeah. So you are the confident and practical lion. You like to have the truth laid out clearly and are a natural leader. Focus on an ambitious 
focused and an ambitious goal setter, there is little you cannot achieve. Open-minded and passionate, you like to share your thoughts with others. In love, you tend to take things slowly, la la la. Um, maturity and control are important to you in your uh, maturity and control are important to you in yourself and others. Home and family are very important to you and often come first. Your happiest and stable relationships where you hold the power. So that just called me the fuck out in terms of you are happy Ooh, when you domination. hold the power. So I'm definitely a dom a, a dom top energy here. Yes. Um, I would say I 99% agree with what with what they're saying here. So. Ooh, nice. I'm a I'm a lion. I'm a lioness. I'm I would a bad say like bitch. a 70 a 70 percent agree with my butterfly reading. Yeah. But overall, you know, pretty good job. 10 out of 10 hair, hair, horoscope. Hair, horoscope. Yeah. Horoscope. Thanks, horoscope. Horoscope.com slash US slash tarot slash tarot inner animal <laughs> dot ASPX. It's yes. perfect. It's mystical. It's right up. Yep. It's perfect. <laughs> so thanks, tarot. So that is Not my spooky up. scoop. <laughs> Not made up at all. <laughs> so that's my spooky scoop <laughs> for today. Oh, man. I'm already so drunk. Yes, Fuck. I'm like yeah. four fists the way through because I need to. What are you drinking um, tonight? Um, a bottle of Cooks. Nice. <laughs> yes. Oof, that sounds fun. I'm I'm on my third Moscow Mule, and this one is ninety percent vodka. So yes, bye. Jordan's bye. like yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so mine today is about the Grand Guignol. Okay. The Grand Guignol. <laughs> and I'm pronouncing that correctly. That is French. I'm not, oh, probably yes. not pronouncing it 100% correctly because it, I'm not using like the French Guignol. accent to oh, it. Bonjour. But it's Guignol. But it's, 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 that's how it's pronounced. The Grand Guignol. I wish I knew French. It's such a pretty <laughs> language. Oh. <laughs> I think it's pretty. I just like. You're like vomiting know. in the background. My whole beef is like I really love German. And I've always loved German, and I mm. hate how everybody is like, "Oh my God, French is so beautiful and German so harsh." And I'm like, whenever, but it, whenever someone speaks in German, it sounds beautiful to me. Like, okay, gonna... you're you're wrong. <laughs> you're literally wrong. I am wrong. not wrong. German French... sounds so beautiful. French is I'm not so much French prettier than sound... German. <laughs> no, I don't. I, like, I think that is incorrect. I think. Oh. I think French. French is beautiful. We're going to start, like, a world war German, right now. Like, like saying German, is, I hate it when people, like, make that. Everyone's like, oh, German is such a beautiful, or French is just such a beautiful language. Unlike German, that's so harsh and not beautiful. I'm like, what? Like, I don't know. It just sounds beautiful when people speak. Like, you know, fucking. <laughs> I disagree. Uh, German is so <laughs> Like, we wouldn't have that if we didn't have German. <laughs> Bitch, like we wouldn't have that if german didn't exist so that is I a rest beautiful my case. that's a beautiful representation <laughs> of the german language thanks Corey. that is a perfect representation a perfect timeless beautiful representation of timeless literally. german language <laughs> well french people are like bonjour i just i i think i think french is great and if like a, a hot like sexually active like hairy frenchman came up to me and started speaking french i mean yeah it would throw me head over heels i love but the french i language. also think that like german would do the same i know that german does the same 
<sighs> yeah, I ju- I'm going to learn French now, and I'm going to learn German just to prove to you <laughs> that Ooh. French is a prettier language. Now, I have this very big uh, life goal to learn two languages <laughs> to prove you wrong. Corey. No, I listen a lot to German. I know I know what German sounds like. I like it. I know I'm not saying that German is prettier than French or vice Hi, versa. Someone. I'm more arguing the fact that people say that German German is usually the, like, one thrown under the bus wouldn't be like oh that's such a harsh language and i'm like well, well you're just you're just ignorant i guess at the end of the day <laughs> what we both can agree on is that the superior accent is the simone accent oh simone because <laughs> she's the best she's she just so came dainty. up to me and started so snuggling cute. me so hard her butt is on my hip uh, so it's true love <laughs> hello simone hey simone she's like hey she's it. like hi hey <laughs> what's up um okay so the grand guignol was originally founded in 1895 by a French playwright by the name of Oscar Metenier. Okay, something like that. Metenier. He purchased a, uh, an old chapel that was located at the end of a, a like really small like alley, and it was this old Gothic cha- cha- chapel that still had all of its decorations up, all of the like stuff that was still there. So there's wooden angels hung from the ceiling. Yes. There were other like statues up up around the ceiling and stuff like that, and the outside. There were multiple iron grated confessional areas that were turned into private boxes and the balcony seats even were basically pews, you know? Oof. So also, just before I get ahead of myself, because I forgot this last time, um, this same area that the Grand Guignol existed in until the 60s, I mean, the, the building is still there. It's just something different, is in the area of the Moulin Rouge. Like it is the same fun. exact area. Yeah, yeah. Very and Moulin fun. Rouge was de, was was the Moulin Rouge, and you know, being Moulin Rougey during this this time. So, um, at only two hundred ninety three seats, the theater was the smallest in Paris. Uh, but because it was like eerily gothic, what I just explained, because it was a church and it was that small, really, y'all, two hundred ninety three seats is not a lot at all. Like theater people know this, and if you just really pay attention, that's not a lot for for a whole theater hall. It's really small. Um, it, it became like a really claustrophobic um, sort of space and a sort of creepy space because of that. And this really just added to the programming that was there and the stuff that was shown there. So Oscar Metzenier, oh. the guy who established this, um, he uh, did it with the intention of creating a space for a naturalistic theater. So naturalism is a 19th century movement in in European drama that focused on creating grounded plays that depicted basically regular real life people. So like real life characters in realistic situations dealing with real realistic things. So nothing is surreal. Nothing is romanticized or over the top. It's more just like, here's this person dealing with this stuff, even like with uh, literature, naturalistic literature or naturalism in literature that I know um, it's more about man versus nature dealing with stuff that was a big, like, you know, late 19th century, early 20th century movement for, like, literature, where it's, like, man doing manly shit, fighting bears. Think, like, The Revenant, except for, mm-hmm. like, the whole main plot of it. <laughs> except <laughs> like, for the think entire of, plot. Think of, like, just think of it. Think of, like, think the of, like Leonardo DiCaprio, like, fighting, like, the, the, the bear, bear and Ugh. fighting, like, the um, the cold and nature, yeah, nature. And, and, and climate and shit like that. That's <laughs> Think naturalism. of a man fighting nature, <laughs> but don't and take that out would the be whole, natural. Like, revenge. <laughs> take out the whole revenge shit. 
<laughs> but I mean, just not think really, of though. <laughs> man versus nature. Exactly. No, I would say that's all very naturalistic because you're still dealing with these yes. people who are real life people that are dealing with real life shit. Yeah. Um, it's like when I go to Taco Bell and they're like, we're out of your order. <laughs> and so I'm dealing with real life shit. It's me really versus no, the really Taco no. Bell, a.k.a. the nature so of my life. you go on this murderous rampage for the next two and a half hours. Yes. I relate <laughs> But to it's this. really pretty. Yeah. It's like super aesthetically pleasing. Oh, my God. That'd be like the funniest nine minute YouTube video where it's like somebody literally like pitches it like elevator pitches it as think Leonardo DiCaprio like think the Revenant but I don't get but my not. order at Taco Bell <laughs> I'd be like here's 10,000 I'm like here's $100,000 like, just think like these beautiful wide shots of this like disgusting rundown barren like you know <laughs> strip mall complex with this like old ass taco bell and you just 90s driving up taco bell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god driving up with like a honda civic <laughs> oh my god i love it i love um, it <laughs> i want that movie <laughs> me too now. Corey. you need to give us this movie here i'm fucking disappointed Fuck. that'd be like the funniest nine minute like little video ever okay so um this dude Focuses on naturalism. So that correlation that I just made with um, l- like naturalism and literature might not be the same, ne- might not be a direct correlation. I'm not super sure. I don't know the correlation between naturalism theater and naturalism in literature. I'm sorry. <laughs> Suck my dick. I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> Skip so, this bag of fact. You're not an expert. Right, I'm oh not my an God. expert. Um, so Metinier's view of naturalism leaned more towards the seedier side of life. So this was oh, like yeah. a this was the a big thing that first started to draw people's attention was Metinier would focus on deplay or depicting, sorry, play or like oh god, I can't talk. <laughs> depicting the lives of prostitutes or criminals, homosexuals even, and street urchins or just like, you know, hobos. Um so these people were not only just frowned upon, you know, obviously um, in society at this time, it was also criminally offensive to be a homosexual or a prostitute, obviously a criminal, um, and street urchins or hobos were just, you know, or homeless people are, are always criminalized somehow just to get them out of the way, which is really mm-hmm. sad. So, um, one of his first plays, uh, was called Mademoiselle Fifi, which was about a prostitute it, and it was, <laughs> yes, exactly. What Mademoiselle said. Fifi. Yeah, <laughs> Fifi. <laughs> I know French. <laughs> um, that one is t- was actually shut down by the police because it was one of the first ones that came out. Well, um, you know what I have to say to that. Fuck the police! Come straight from the fight. underground. <laughs> How dare you end Mademoiselle Fifi? <laughs> oh, you police. know what's really cute and sad at the same time. What is that? I could tell that my parents were getting home before they opened up the door because because the uh because my dog started like whining really intensely oh that's sweet yeah. isn't that sweet that's so He's cute like, mom and dad he was like mom ah, ah. You could hear him whining they're like wee, wee. You know? oh he's just that's super cute. excited he gets separation anxiety it's really sad Oh, my God. We should introduce your doggo to Simone. <laughs> they know, could have right? separation anxiety together. <laughs> I actually talked to my dog, uh, to Lucky, yesterday, and I was like, it's really sad that you have super separation anxiety because you have two boomer parents, owners, that don't even, you know, like, acknowledge. refuse to acknowledge the fact that a dog has that. <laughs> right? Oh, what a poor Lucky. 
Right. She's a lucky. It's sad. But we we they She's take care of him really good. They they put bacon grease in his food every once in a while. Like, you should just good. steal Lucky. <laughs> I gotta meet Lucky. <gasps> I gotta meet you Lucky do. tomorrow. Oh he's my god. Really cute. He's great. He's great. He he's a little difficult to deal with because he is very needy all the time. Well, like, you know literally what? Literally all the time. Bitch, me too. You ain't special. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. So. Back to the podcast. So this dude, Oscar Metinier, um, sort of continues on doing his thing only for about two years until 1897. And then the theater is turned over to Max Marais. And then it really gets into what the Grand Guignol is known for. But Grand really Guignol. quickly, we're going to go back to uh, we're going to go back to Oscar, dude, because is the one of the main reasons why I'm doing the Grand Guignol is because this dude, because he would focus on homosexuals and prostitutes and stuff like that, he would literally take it like he would literally go out into the world and just research these people. Um, there's this other, not famous, but just this known French uh, writer and or, or phil- philosopher, um, not like Voltaire or some shit like that. He's just like a known writer um, who I sort of read a sort of excerpt from one of his memoirs about meeting Oscar Metinier and having a night out with him. And basically Oscar invited him and his gay friends over for dinner. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and yes. then just like started, then just like like went out with them the night before, had like a gay night out with them. And then the next night was like, well, hey, like, let me think this over for the next day, but then tomorrow night invite you over to my house and then we can just sort of talk about it. Mm. <laughs> and oh, so yeah, he would literally just like go out and study. Yeah, right. No, I, I wish, right. I was trying to figure out if he was gay or not. It's 90%. I'm 90% sure that he's not, but you know, who knows? No. You know, he'd go I'm out to like, so he'd literally mad. go out to like gay bars and like, you know, do research quote unquote and stuff like that. So oh. who knows? I was trying to, but I was trying to, like, I was like trying to read between the lines, but I, I, I couldn't even really find good evidence that he was gay himself. So I don't want to, I don't want to say that he's gay if he's not. Okay. Damn it. Double damn it. So double damn it. Um, so it, it's just pretty funny. Cause he would literally like the, the guy you had to be there. I don't want to go too much into it, but when he like read it, it's really funny. This guy just talking about Oscar, Basically, just like, you know, question his him and his friends about being gay and how it is and stuff like that so that he could actually portray it correctly in one of his plays. It's pretty cool. So now fast forwarding to 1897, Max Murray. This is where the Grand Guignol basically turns into straight up horror. It's like, hey, these naturalistic stuff that's a little bleak and dark. We're just going to make it horror. Their first play is Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart. They go on political te- political themes. They twist them and do violent tales of murder and revenge. Yes. Um, and this is basically uh, where the Grand Guignol gets put in this sort of setup where they would do multiple plays a night. And one would be super horror focused and then one would be a comedy. So you'd see, you'd watch a little horror, a little comedy, then a little horror and then a little comedy. And he would set this up specifically so that you would have that sort of the juxtaposition between the two would be super like contrasted. Like you have the comedy, you're laughing, and the next you're like horrified and like what the heck's going on? You know, the hell's going on in front of me. This sounds a lot like our podcast what you're describing right now. Oh, yeah. One minute you're shooketh and horrified. The next minute you're like, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, that joke. (laughs) It just sounds like the exact formula of our podcast. Oh, yeah. And then next, like, yeah, some girl's getting, like, fucked by a dog. Yeah. Yeah. Uh But you're like, but also (laughs) listen to this funny story I had from the other day. (laughs) So we got our, clearly we got our inspo from the Grand Gagnon. From the Grand Gagnon. 
Yeah, croissant. Oh my god. Did we go off about croissants last time? We did. That we did the original. Oh my god, y'all. Yeah, we went we went off for like a solid fifteen about our love of croissants. Sum up of at least seven to fifteen minutes of We love croissants. Croissants. We fucking love croissants. I would get down. So flashback to like episode three when we talked about what type of bread we would have sex with. Oh my god. Number one is garlic bread. Well, ah. croissants though maybe number one is croissants what did i say did i say croissants i don't remember what we said i know we talked a lot about olive garden breadsticks yeah <laughs> that's all i can remember but i love me a good croissant just like i love me a good bagel just like i like love me a good devil, breadstick like akin to simpsons where the devil shows up and gives homer the best donut in the world yeah like if if this if the devil showed up and was like give me your soul for like the best croissant ever i'd be like I would- oh I know. I would, it would be. It would be a torn decision. I would heavily consider my soul for a croissant. For a croissant. Because they're so fucking good. You almost made me drop my croissant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. Okay. You need to find a vegan croissant. I have. I'm sure it's it, made. You have. Yes. So there's this place called Eva's Bakery in Salt Lake that makes. It literally tastes like a regular croissant, but it's vegan. So like, I almost okay. don't believe it that it's vegan. Yeah. And then. And two other bakeries make vegan croissants, and Whole Foods makes vegan croissants. Oh, wow. But, okay, cool. That's actually, new, that, that surprises me that they can be good. That right? really does. Like, particularly my, for a croissant. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Eva's Bakery is my... Like, I had it, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, this literally tastes like a croissant. Uh, my issue now is that I'm gluten-free and vegan. I can no oh, longer shit. eat any form of croissant, and I'm a sad girl about it, because I love me a croissant. R.I.P. My bread. R.I.P. My, my bread dildos. Are you going to like ever do it once in a while for like birthdays and crap? Yeah. We'll talk about the my gluten-free life later because oh, <laughs> yeah, it's true. it's a long combo. My, gluten, my gluten-free life. My, <laughs> the, the new the Disney auto- Channel original. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, autobiography of Channel Jones. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So fast forward. This is taking a long time. <laughs> I My know we we've, done, we, like, we've been t- a lot of side jobs. Holy <laughs> we've shit! We've been doing this for twenty minutes. Your episode. Holy shit! Okay, in nineteen fourteen, basically fast forward, Murray gives over the leadership of the theater to this uh, person named Camille Choisy. I don't know if they're a man or a woman. Who cares? So they focus on increasing, um, basically, the staging and special effects of the horror that is portrayed in these um, in these plays. So what happens is the the plays get even darker, and instead of just being psychological crazy horror things, they focus specifically on sex and violence. So oh. let's just say like they go from old like you know, ho- good old horror to torture porn. Like we'll just oh. say that's like that's like the modern day um, equivalent of what happens here. And there really is is basically is just sort of torture porn to a step. There's a lot of rape and uh, torture ah. going on. It basically is torture porn, but it's just in the form of theatrical plays. And basically what this this person does is tries to um, make it as realistic as possible while focusing on special effects because they were a special effects artist in the theater until they became the, the leader of it or like the director of it, who, whatever you would say. Um, so this basically gets the attention and this is where it gets almost world renowned at this time where like uh, the New York Times does a whole spiel on it. Um, and stuff like that. And during this time, this is like the some uh, another part or reason why I made this a faggot fact is because while this was going on and being super great over the next couple decades through World War II and stuff, there is a girl by the name of Paola Maxa 
who performed Ooh. from 1917 into the late 1930s. And she earned the title of being, quote, the most assassinated woman in the world. And goals. 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 100% goals. <laughs> you fucking so, bad bitch. So she was killed over 10,000 times during her time at, uh, working in theater during, during her career. Yes. And it was also said, which is like intense. This is just an intense fact. It was also said that she was subjugated to simulated rape another 3,000 oh. times on stage. Uh, at her time so that's a little intense um so just to like wrap this up really quickly so the grand guignol does really well in the 1910s um after post-world war one it does does really what good as well in the 1920s and 30s are mostly pretty good as well however uh as world war ii happened and then as world war ii ended the grand guignol sort of falls out of um the radar people don't really care about it the horrors of World War II were way too much. People thought, you know, World War One was probably already enough, but World War II happening again so soon was just way too much, and people didn't really care about that gruesome grotesqueness and stuff like that because mm. they saw it enough in real life. Yeah. Also, during World War II and during the like the German occupation of Paris for four years, a lot of military. This was a this was a very popular German military uh, place to go to. And so they pandered to German soldiers there a lot. And so people didn't like going to the Grand Guignol much afterwards. Okay. However, it stayed around until 1962 where it performed its last play. I didn't figure out which play it was, though. Sorry, I looked a little bit but couldn't find it. Um, and today it, it, it houses the International Visual Theater, which the specializes in visual theater, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which specializes in sign language plays. Oh, wow. That's fucking yeah. cool. Yeah. So you can go there today and watch a sign language play, which I think would be really cool to go do. What It'd a different really experience that is from what people experienced, yeah. you know, back in the day. <laughs> right. <a> wild. <laughs> um, so, oh, my gosh. I forgot, like, one of the most fun things. Um, so, you know, how I talked about those, um, like, how it used to be a gothic uh, cathedral. Well, not cathedral, but, like, a chapel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that there used to, there were those confession boxes that were made into private boxes. Well, oh. during the Grand Guignol's heyday, um, even when it was good and also when it wasn't like super its heyday. Um, you know what happened. Yeah, right? Oh, like the confession shit. boxes are really small and tight. So like two or three people could fit in them. And oh, they were multiple shit. and it's a small space. But people would have sex in them because you you see this like really intense comedy and you would see or this really intense horror and then this comedy and then this horror and then this comedy and both of them are very sexually charged and stuff like that. So people would have sex in the confessional boxes or in the private boxes because they are because they were former confessional boxes, they were super closed off to everything else. And they would even be so loud because it was so close or they wouldn't be crazy loud, but everybody was so tight knit and close that um the actors sometimes could hear the people having sex oh and my just God. stop the play and yell at them to stop and be like hey can you quiet down or finish up really quick so we can that's get back amazing to the play? yeah <laughs> everyone just like all the audience members and the actors just like quietly wait for the couple to <laughs> finish in the, it's just like like awkward silence you just hear oh 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 and everyone and cheers the, and then you like and then they continue on. with the play as if nothing <laughs> happened but yeah, that is the Grand Guignol. That's fucking uh, amazing. Isn't that fun? It's a fun little little fact reality. Well, let's take a drink before we get started with mine, because this is yeah, now man. the the like 
the the second time you've heard this so yeah but this is like the third time you're prepared to share it yep so which means i'm i'm three times as drunk as i've ever been to to share it let's get started so tonight everybody I'm talking about the murder in room 1046. Ah, why, God, why? Not room 1046. Not room 1046. Oh, my God. I know. That adds up to 11. Oh, my God. If only added up to 13, that would make it spookier. Mm-hmm. That would make it way spookier. Now I'm disappointed. Now my entire like six pages of notes is I should just hug out the window. I'm like, yep. let's make up a story. Just tell me the plot of 1408. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah. I'm like, once there was there was a girl. <laughs> she was there. She was. No, killed. have you seen the Have you seen the movie 1408? No, I didn't know that it's, was an actual thing. 1408. Damn it. 1408. Oh, it's a pretty okay. good one. It has um, what's his oh, name? Oh, fun. It has um, uh, Samuel Jackson's not, in no, it. No, 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 no. Yeah, not Samuel. Uh, that was the, that's the obvious second. What's the first one? What's the guy that white dude? Oh, oh, it's the dude from Heather's. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, um, no, John, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's, he's from it's John Cusack. John yes, Cusack yes. is in Heather's? He's not yeah. the main character. Yes, he is. He's the dude no, in Heather's. He, he is not, sir. Yes, he is. No, yes, he, he is. Not. It is not John Cusack. I bet you my goddamn life that's not John Cusack. Oh, my God. Now I'm so scared. It's not John Cusack. Oh, my God. Heather's. It's not John Cusack. It isn't. <laughs> it Who is, is the main dude in it's Heather's? I Ro- it's Robot. It's Mr. Robot guy. Oh, Christian it's Christian Slater. Slater. Yeah, bitch. I'm like, is this not? It's not fucking. It's not fucking. <laughs> did I? Did I just die? John Cusack. John Cusack bet, is not good enough for that. He said, "I Sorry, bet John you my Cusack. life," and I said, "Same." I think I might be dead now. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> Channel lost today. <laughs> but you know what? I won in our French versus German <laughs> battle because no, French is a prettier no. language than German. No, I do not. Agree. I'm. I you know me in the world. I I, agree, I think objectively so. you're right. Yes, I mean, I agree but with myself, personally, yes. I really like I really love German. I think it well, bitch, really this ain't about personal shit. <laughs> 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 All right, let's get started. So let's talk about the murder in room 1046. Yes. So this is January 2nd, 1935. So we are taking this shit back. Whoa. Way back, way way back, like you know, almost a hundred years ago. So our this girl, ha- the most assassinated woman, is still performing. Yeah, she's yeah, still man. being a bad bitch right now. Yeah, while or this she's crazy doing like one of her last on. performances. That's true, but she's still being a baddie. So January second, yeah. nineteen thirty-five, around one twenty in the afternoon, a man. Where are we? I'm gonna I'm gonna set the scene. Oh shit! So a but where man. Are we, though? <laughs> oh my god! Just hold on. Okay, <laughs> so I'll a shut man. Up. I'll shut up. <laughs> shut your whore mouth. Shut your German whore mouth. <laughs> so, oh god. <laughs> a man checked into the President Hotel in downtown Kansas City. Under the name Ronald T. Owen. He's like so Kans- Ronald McDonald. Yeah, Ronald McDonald. <laughs> fuck my bet. So Kansas City, that's where we're at, 1935. Okay, cool. Yes. Good old Ronald was in his 20s. He was well-dressed. He had a scar on his temple, and he had a cauliflower ear. So his ear was all fucked up. He didn't appear to have any luggage, which did not surprise the staff because they were used to you know, businessmen or tourists staying for a night or two with some special company aka used to men fucking prostitutes in their in their uh, hotel yay so used to it used to men not showing up with anything ronald requested an interior room facing the courtyard 
So a dude named Randolph Propes, he was a bellhop. He took Ronald up in the elevator to the 10th floor. On the way, they had some polite, casual conversation, as you do in the elevator, because it's always awkward in the elevator. And then out of nowhere, Ronald started ranting about the high nightly rate at a hotel down the street. Once they reached the 10th floor, the two of them walked to room 1046. Randolph opened the door. He let Ronald in. Um, He waited by the door to make sure that Ronald was satisfied as Ronald was emptying his pockets. And in his pockets of his coat was like a hairbrush and a toothpaste. You know, that basic type of shit. Lube, condoms, crack cocaine, you name it. Basic, basic, basic. After that, Ronald turned to Randolph and he told him that he was satisfied with the room. Um, So Randolph handed the keys to Ronald and they left. Or then, sorry, Randolph left. Uh, shortly after Ronald ended up leaving the room and then the hotel. So a few hours passed by and then a, our home girl, Mary soap Dick, that's her real name. <laughs> I remember now. <laughs> yes. Now you remember she was the hotel maid. <laughs> um, she started her afternoon shift. Damn. This is she, sorry. Alcohol just like is in my mouth. A, just, a lot of alcohol. It's overpowering. It's overpowering the taste of vodka. So Mary Soptic, she's the hotel maid. She started her afternoon shift. She went to room 1046. That was her. That was Jordan. <laughs> that she. <laughs> if that wasn't Jordan, that was a ghost. Please God, send police I'm officers. I'm like Jordan's to my here with me. Remember, he came a day early. <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> so her very first room was 1046. She went up to the 10th floor, knocked on the door, and Ronald answered, and he, and he told her to come in. She entered, and, she, and he told her not to lock the door because he was expecting a friend in a few minutes. She noticed that the curtains were tightly drawn, and every single light was turned off except a tiny lamp on the desk. So it was just shining on him pretty much. It was okay. spooky, and yeah. it's like 5 p.m. at this point. It's a little weird. Yeah. She's used to weird. She starts cleaning, and she noticed that he seemed like, and this is in quotes from her, a statement later that she told the police he was either worried about something or afraid and that he always wanted to kind of keep in the dark after a few minutes i'm sure which were very awkward minutes um ronald put on his jacket brushed his hair and then left as he was leaving he asked her uh, or he, he reminded her to leave the door unlocked on her way out um, she finished after a few minutes left and she left the door unlocked a few hours passed by she returned to the room with clean towels um, she walked in and she found Ronald lying on the bed, fully dressed and completely asleep. And on the desk next to him was a note that read, in quotes, Don, I will be back in 15 minutes. Wait. Okay. So no one at the hotel saw or heard from Ronald for the rest of the night. However, outside the hotel, a, a man named Robert, because apparently every person in the 1930s their name started with an R and an O because we have Randolph, Robert, and Ronald now. Oh, my gosh. But, but our homeboy, Robert, he was driving home from work or whatever the fuck he did in the 30s. And he was flagged down by a man running down the street wearing only his undershirt and his underwear. He noticed Hot. a deep scratch or wound on this dude's arm. So he pulled over to help. He said, in quotes, you look as if you've been in a bad 
that's what Robert told Mystery Man. The, the Mystery <laughs> he Man said it said, exactly like that, too. Yeah, because this is the 1930s. He's like, the I'm from the 1930s, so I'm not like the, this. Johnny Torino, yeah. The whole, you know, this is the 1930s. It's the only way they could possibly talk. Ran- Ronald, our, our homeboy, he said, I'll kill that beep expletive tomorrow. Um, the man reportedly replied, you know, that whole statement. I don't know what that expletive was the newspapers at the time and like visitor statements blocked out swear words but you could only assume what he said it maybe even fucker give you, like, the first letter what maybe at, no no first letter i'll, I'll kill that no. like dash Let's dash dash cunt. tomorrow <laughs> I'll, I'll kill that cunt tomorrow <laughs> it's just like the most intense thing you could possibly like yeah say. if you're gonna bleep it all out i'm choosing the worst one we're gonna we're gonna choose the worst possible one i'll kill that <laughs> motherfucking cunt tomorrow he's like that motherfucking bitch ass <laughs> cracker ass cunt bitch tomorrow yep. <laughs> just escalates it's like the longest expletive like in recorded history <laughs> Uh. man our our guy ronald is a fucking homie so he after he performed the seven and a half minute monologue that contained multiple (laughs) expletives to this dude (laughs) um robert he completely he pulled over and he's like okay like get in my fucking get in my car and i'll drive you to a taxi so (laughs) ronald Ronald. Oh my God. I reviewed this story so many times now. It's so fun. So Ronald was like, fuck yeah, I'll get in your car, homeboy. You've like, so- you've like forgotten and then reread this so many times. I know. My mind's like, oh yeah, every, like, five, every five, 50 seconds. So oh Ronald hopped into Robert's car. They started driving around the neighborhood. Um, eventually, Robert dropped Ronald off at a taxi stand, and he watched this dude jump into a taxi and leave. Um, he would later identify this stranger as Ronald T. Owen, our homeboy. So the nice. next morning, January 3rd, 1935, uh, Mary Sopdick returned to room 1046 around 1030 in the morning. The door was locked from the outside, which led her to believe that Robert wasn't there. So she opened the door with her master key, and she was pretty surprised to see that Ronald was, in fact, there inside the hotel room, um, completely in the dark, sitting in a chair in the corner of the room. Like, think Conjuring 2-style corner of the room. Obviously spooky. Sopdick realized at that point that someone else had locked the door from the outside. So that was a little weird to her. Right when she started realizing, oh, shit, someone locked him into this room, the phone rang and he answered it. And he said, in quotes, no, Don, I don't want to eat. I am not hungry. I just had breakfast. No, I am not hungry. That's what he said. Sorry, Jordan's sneezing like crazy right now. What's going on with Jordan? Is he okay? You know, he's allergic to cats and he lives with them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So just that. Oh, he says it was the storage unit because he got all our camping stuff. Oh, that all makes the dust. sense. Yeah. All that, all that dust. Dust makes me sneeze like hard. Yeah. Oh yeah, hard. Oh, how hard? So hard. <laughs> so hard. So right after that phone call, our homeboy Ronald hung up. He turned to Soap Dick, who was you know awkwardly cleaning in the room during this weird encounter, <laughs> and he immediately changed his entire tone. She's just, was, she's just putting soap on dicks. <laughs> Yeah, and he's like, no, Don, I don't want to eat. And she's like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, That's aggressively. like when I was blowing those dudes and they started arguing with each other. Oh, yeah. It's like 100% that exact same feeling. Oh, my God. So she's like casually putting ta- like putting soap and like tidying up his room. And she hears his argument on the phone. No, Don, I don't want to eat. 
I am not hungry. I just had breakfast. No, I'm not hungry. She's like, <laughs> did we did we so, say that on this podcast? I'm sure we did. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'm I'm pretty sure we did. So continue. So right after he right after he hung up, Soapdick was you know obviously eavesdropping. She's a bad bitch. She's trying to act like she's not. He turned and he looked at her, still cradling the phone, and just started asking her a million questions. He was asking her about her job, her hotel, like the hotel, her family, any question you could possibly ask. He then randomly started complaining about the nightly rate of a nearby hotel again, which he already did to Randolph the night before. Uh, after, which I'm sure is a, a very awkward conversation, Soap Dick finally finished cleaning. She got the fuck out of there after she collected yeah, the dirty bye. towels. She's like, cool, bye. So a couple hours passed. Now it's 4 p.m. that same day, January 3rd. Soap Dick returned to 1046 to drop off the fresh towels. She heard two men talking in the room, so she decided to knock before she entered the room because that's what you do. That's polite. So she knocked the door. She started turning the handle to open it, but a force, a man, like, prevented the door from opening, and she heard a deep voice ask who it was. She responded, housekeeping, I have fresh towels, to which the stranger said, we don't need any, and then slammed the door and locked it. She instantly knew, one, it wasn't Ronald's voice because she talked to Ronald earlier that day and his voice wasn't that deep. Um, and, and she also knew that what that stranger was saying was a lie because she took out every single towel early, earlier that day. So she knew they didn't have clean towels. So it was very odd to her that a random stranger was there and they were lying about the towel situation. Two hours later, Jean Owen, she's completely unrelated to our home, to our main dude, Ronald Owen. Um, she checked into the hotel. She was given room 1048, which is right next to, to Ronald. Um, her boyfriend visited around 9.20 p.m. He stayed for about two, two-ish hours. Um, after he left, Jean heard men and women yelling and swearing in the hall. She wasn't sure if it was coming from 1046 or a different room, um, but it was really loud and it lasted a long time. She thought about complaining, but she was a millennial in the 30s, and she decided that she didn't want to bother <laughs> anybody, like, so she just went My to bed. over in an hour. Yeah, she just fucking dealt with it. Now, the elevator operator, his name was Charles Blotcher, he started his shift around midnight that night. He remembers seeing a commercial woman, a.k.a. a prostitute, go to the 10th floor looking for room 1026. She went to room 1026, knocked, but no one was there. She knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked for about five minutes. No one was there. So she went back to Charles, expressed her frustration. She said that her client... Or her, the person she was visiting was always on time. So maybe she had the wrong number. Maybe it was room 1024 or 10 something six, a.k.a. 1046. But regardless, she couldn't remember the exact room. Charles Blotcher, he couldn't help her. He was just an elevator dude. Um, so she decided to wait for about 30 minutes. Um, after she waited for that 30 minutes, she rang Charles Blotcher and he took her down to the lobby. About an hour later, he took that same girl to the ninth floor. At 4.15 a.m., that woman rang for Belcher and was taken to the lobby and then left the hotel. About 15 minutes later, a man from the ninth floor was taken to the lobby. I know that seems unrelated to what's going on right now, but just remember that, y'all, because it's important. Yeah, Chana. Unrelated. Yeah, bitch. So January 4th, the next morning, so the, the next encounter between Ronald Owen and the hotel staff took place the next day a little bit 
around a little bit after 7 o'clock in the morning. A switchboard operator noticed that the phone for 1046 was off the hook. She waited about 10 minutes before requesting a bellboy to go to the room and ask the occupant to hang up. Randolph Propes, who was the bellboy from the first day, went to room 1046. Despite the do not disturb sign, he knocked. No response. He knocked again. And again. Uh And again. And finally, Uh he he heard a deep voice say, come in. He tried, but the doorknob was locked. (laughs) He tried again. Come in. Come in. It's abyssal. Come in. (laughs) It's just a fucking crazy demonic voice. Come in. (laughs) So Randolph followed the demonic voice, tried the doorknob, but it was locked. So we knocked again. And this term, he heard that same demonic deep voice tell him, turn on the lights. (laughs) Turn on the lights. (laughs) He knocked again. And again, and again, because he still couldn't open the fucking door because it was locked. And finally, after seven or eight times of just knocking, he yelled through the door, put the phone back on the hook. He still got no response, so he just said, fuck it, and left to go to the lobby. Then he called the operator. He said, the guy is probably drunk, like something weird's going on, but whatever. I'm sure he'll he'll put the phone back on the hook soon. Um, If he doesn't, just send somebody else up. So an hour passed. I'm not even with that shit. <laughs> yeah. An hour passed. Phone still off the hook. So another bellboy, his name is Harold Pike, he was sent. Pike used his master key to let himself into the room because he was not fucking yeah, around with did. knocking. Yeah. He used his master daddy. He immediately noticed that Ronald was lying completely naked on the bed, surrounded by, in quotes, dark shadows. Hot. The telephone stand was knocked over and the phone was on the floor. Pike picked up the stand and put the phone on it. He <laughs> left and locked the door behind him and he told the supervisor. How much of like a, <laughs> an entry level worker do you have to be? <laughs> to just be like, I'm not, I'm not here for any other reason. I'm not doing any more work. I'm not doing any more cognitive thinking of my surroundings. I'm just putting this fucking phone oh back on the fucking hook. Oh my god, that's so good. I mean, like, he he is also one of the a, a 1930s millennial. Like, yeah. So this is actually a modern day story, even though it takes place in the 30s. Surprise! This is 2005. Yeah. This. <laughs> So this classic millennial is doing the absolute bare minimum to continue. <laughs> so he rolls up, looks at this dude covered in this bare ass naked guy, covered in dark shadows. And blood. He just, yeah, aka blood. So he he picks up the telephone, puts it back on the hook, and just walks the fuck out. He then con- he contacts his manager and he's like, "Yeah, this dude was lying in a po- in a pool of shadows." Um, but he's probably drunk, and his manager literally was, was like, a "Cool." Pool of shadows. It's not. He's it, not blood. He's not dead. Yeah, there was definitely no stank in there. It was definitely shadows. It was just shadows. So two hours later, that phone was off the hook again. So Randolph Propes, our original bellboy homeboy, again he went up to ten forty six, and knocked and knocked and knocked. No response. So instead of doing what he did the first time and knocking for like an hour, he was like, fuck it, I'm just going to go into the room. So he put in his master key, he turned the handle, 
he walked into room 1046 and his, the door hit something. And he took uh. a step in and he looked down and he saw that Ronald was on his knees and elbows holding his bloody head in his hands. What? Randolph turned on the lights and saw blood everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it was all over Ronald. The floors, the walls, the bed, the ceiling, the bathroom, the bathtub, the sink, the mirror, the curtains, the window, like you name it, everywhere. I'm th- I'm talking Quentin Tarantino style bloodbath. Yes. The shining elevator scene bloodbath. Like think of the most intense bloody scenes you've ever thought of and or you've ever seen or thought of in your whole life. And that's what this fucking looked like. He ran from the room calling for help, obviously, because that's what you should do. Police and doctors arrived shortly after, and they found Ronald was bound at the neck, wrists, and ankles. He had a fractured skull, multiple stab wounds to his chest, a punctured lung, and a broken leg. But somehow, he was still alive. So when they asked him who did it, he responded, saying in quotes, Nobody, I hit my head on the bathtub. Obvious lie, because no one who has hit their head in the bathtub has stab wounds. <laughs> through, uh, and so lie all around the room. Yeah, it's like a fucking massacre scene. And he's like, I accidentally like, slipped whoops. when I did my bath bomb. I got a like, yeah, he's like, whoops. They're like, that's a fucking lie. So they rush him to the hospital while the police started searching for his room to figure out what the fuck happened. Because they obviously knew that he was hurt by another person. There was just no possible way that someone with this much blood and stab wounds and being bound by the neck and getting broken bones could happen from tripping in a bathtub. Now, like I said, there was blood everywhere. And all the blood that was splattered on the walls and ceilings, it was dry, which led investigators to believe that he was injured around 4 o'clock in the morning, which was six or seven hours before he was found. So Ronald was most likely tortured, and he tried calling for help. But due to his extent of his injuries, he only had enough energy to take the phone off of the hook. Oh, that's sad. So that means when the second bellboy visited the room hours before, the man he (laughs) thought that was drunk on the bed surrounded by shadows was actually a dying man covered in his own blood. Dang. Begging for help. Again, how entry-level job... (laughs) I know. So so next time you see someone in shadows, just realize they're in blood. They're not shadows. They're not shadows. They're not shadows. Someone's naked, unconscious, unresponsive on their bed. It's it's not shadows. shadows. It's It's either vomit or blood. It's one or the other. Yeah. So all of Ronald's clothes were completely gone. The only thing found in the room was a hairpin, an unlit cigarette, and on the telephone stand, four small fingerprints which they speculated could be from a woman. Meanwhile, at the hospital, Ronald Owen slipped into a coma and died around midnight. So now it was official that he was murdered. Uh, Police had to answer the question, who killed Ronald Owen and what happened in room 1046? So the first thing police did is they contacted the LA Police Department to see if they had any record of Robert Owen. They did this because when Robert checked into the hotel, he made like a casual comment that he was from Los Angeles. Um, So they went off of that. So they called LAPD. LAPD told investigators that there wasn't any record of Robert Owen in the entire state of California. Robert Owen apparently did not exist. It quickly became 
clear that Ronald Owen wasn't this dude's real name. So investigators released a sketch of the victim in the newspaper with the heading, Do You Recognize This Man? And then his body was put on display at a local funeral home. Now that hotel that he complained about multiple times ended up coming forward and saying that that guy, Ronald Owen, checked into their hotel days before under the name Eugene K. Scott. So as the story spread, more and more people came forward providing dozens of names that this mystery guy went by. Um, And furthermore, like families and missing victims would come forward and just think and speculate that this was their person, but it wasn't. Um, So all of these people were coming forward, providing all this information, all this different information to the police officers. But the fact of the matter is they couldn't figure out this guy's real identity. So not being able to identify this victim, police focused their intention, their attention on the mysterious Don but they couldn't find Ooh. anything. Don Draper. We, Don Draper. <laughs> Jinx, you owe me a vodka drink. So <laughs> Done. <laughs> done. It's true. Weeks went by, no new information. And so the funeral was planned, and John Doe, a.k.a. Ronald Owen, um, was set to be buried in the city's Potter's Field on March 4th. The funeral home received a call from an anonymous, deep-voiced man who asked that the funeral be delayed so they could so they could send the funeral home the money for a grave and a service at at Memorial Park, which is in Kansas City, um, because the caller said that the dead man would be near his sister. So the funeral director warned this caller that he would have to notify the police of this entire call, and the caller said that he knew and that it did not bother him. When asked if he knew why Ronald Owen was killed, this anonymous deep-voiced killer said. It was because Ronald Owen had an affair while engaged. Uh, and the two people arranged a meeting with Ronald at the hotel to get revenge. He ended the call with, in quotes, cheaters usually get what's coming to them. And then just hung up. <laughs> He's like, cheater, cheater. Pumpkin eater. Pumpkin eater. Click. <laughs> so the funeral was postponed. And then on March 23rd, the money for the funeral was wrapped in a newspaper and dropped off at the funeral home. The next day, a dozen roses were sent again anonymous, anonymously with a card that read, Love Forever, Louise. So Aww. obviously at this point, according to police investigators, at least two people knew the true identity of Ronald because some deep-voiced, mysterious man called and set up arrangements for a proper funeral, and some chick sent roses saying Love Forever from Louise. So their, their question was, okay, someone out there knows his identity, but why aren't they coming forward? So Ronald Owen was buried under his false name um, because... Oh, wow. Was, right? I know. That's crazy. So besides the officiating minister, the only attendees were police detectives, which I find really depressing. That's crazy. Yeah. And the police detectives were like the pole bearers. So it was a, a full-blown funeral. <gasps> oh, my God. I'm remembering officers. the conspiracies now. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes, you are, Daddy. Oh, my God. That's either so sad or just sad. <laughs> it's it, Either way, it's sad, sad. <laughs> yeah, either way, it's sad. So a year and a half after Ronald Owen is buried by police officers and a random minister from the from this town, a friend of Ruby Ogletree found an American oh. weekly piece about Owen's case. Ruby immediately recognized Robert Owen as her son, 17-year-old 
Artemis Ogletree, which is a total Harry Potter name. Okay. Artemis Ogletree, that's like the most fake yeah. name I've ever heard in my no, life. No, and that's where we get into Artemis Fowl that we talked about last time. <laughs> but you never read those books. I did not read those books. Yeah, it's okay. I forgot about it until right now. It's okay. They're okay fun. books, but the the series came out, or the the movie came out that was going to be a series on Disney Plus, and it's like the shittiest piece of shit. So, uh, yeah. Well, regardless, our new Harry Potter person, our Artemis Ogletree, he was 17. He left Birmingham, Alabama, Alabama in 1934 to move to Los Angeles, which makes sense because he's told the hotel people he is from L.A. Yep. He contacted his mom for a while, but he stopped after a few months. Ruby called Kansas City Police Department, and she was able to 100% confirm that Robert Owen was um, Artemis Ogletree. She also told them about a third hotel her son stayed at with a friend named Don. So at this point, we know Don from the written note. We know Don from that mysterious deep voice. We know Don from right now. Plus, the funeral got a mysterious deep voiced phone call from a man. So now, you know, things are sparking for the police officers because this, this Don fellow is popping up a lot. So after it was announced that Ronald's identity. Sorry, let me re-say that. Um, after it was announced that Ronald's identity was found, Ruby received three typed letters from her son. Now, her son didn't know how to type, and the style and language that was used wasn't like Artemis. It's as if that someone was trying to make her and the investigators believe that Robert Owen was incorrectly identified. Weird. It gets weirder. In May 1935, another letter from Artemis was sent to Ruby saying that he was going to Europe. It was followed by a special delivery letter saying that his ship was sailing that very day. Both were sent from New York. Then three months later, in August, Ruby received a phone call from Memphis, Tennessee. A man, a deep-voiced man on the other end of the line, told her that Artemis saved his life in a fight, and they have been in contact ever since that he saved his life. Ruby started asking him questions about Artemis, um, and she started saying, can I talk to Artemis? Can Artemis contact me? But apparently, according to this Tennessee caller, Artemis moved to Egypt to marry a wealthy woman, so he couldn't call. So when Ruby was like, okay, well, if he can't <laughs> okay. call, can he at least write to me? And this mysterious deep-voiced man was like, well, no, he can't write because Artemis lost his thumbs in this fight that he saved oh my, my God, life what in. What a horrible So, <laughs> So he can't call you because he's married to an Egyptian like? woman. He can't write to you because he lost his thumbs. And so she obviously didn't believe it, but she is a smart badass. So she continued talking with the man for over 30 minutes and just tried collecting as much info as she could. Now, although what he was saying did not make sense, he did know firsthand knowledge of Artemis. So she did realize and recognize, okay, this guy's obviously lying, but he actually did know my son. This isn't like a a prank call. This is real. After that phone call, she gave the police the the name that the man identified by himself. Sorry, the name the the man identified himself by, um, but that name has never made has never been public. Oh Ooh. man, I'm drunk. Yeah. Whew. P- 
police did look to see if Artemis had at some point before his death gone to Egypt or anywhere else overseas just just to try to fact check this dude's story, but they couldn't find anything. Um, And then in 1937, the New York City Police Department um, arrested a man named Joseph Martin. (gasps) Corey, it's it's your your great, 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 great uncle. He got arrested on a murder charge after he had killed a man he roomed with, and then he put the body in a trunk to be shipped to Memphis, Tennessee. Whoa. Just a reminder, that phone call that girl received was from Memphis, Tennessee. Now, among the several aliases he was found to have used... He mainly used Donald Kelso, a.k.a. Don. Now, according to a story about the case in the New Yorker, in the New, yeah, in the New Yorker, um, the KCPD had matched samples of his handwriting to that and the letters written to to Ruby Ogletree, but no charges were filed against him for the murder of the Ogletree case, and the KCPD kept that case open. So the files show that different detectives reviewed the case every few years through the 1950s. Um, each time they noted that they would keep the case open, they would follow up later, but nothing was ever fall- followed up upon and no new evidence was found. And slowly throughout the decades, the case went cold. So what happened to Artemis Ogletree and who is Dawn? And more, what my question is, is how come this dude that was arrested for, for killing his his quote-unquote roommate, who, who went by Don, whose handwriting matched, how come he was not charged? It's it's wild. But to this day, no one knows what happened. So now we're going to go through these theories of what the fuck happened to our, our Artemis homeboy. First theory is mysterious Don beat Artemis to death in room 1046, and he completely acted alone. Theory number one. Theory number two is that Don beat Artemis to death room 1046, but he did not act alone. This theory is based on the fact that the girl staying in room 1048, which was right next to 1046, heard two men and one woman yelling that night. And there were also <laughs> bloody fo- bloody fingerprints belonging to a woman that were found in Artemis's room. Shadowy so the theory, So the theory is that Dawn and mystery woman killed Artemis. Now, yeah. maybe this woman was the prostitute from earlier because the prostitute and a man from the ninth floor left the hotel around 4.15. And we know based off of the injuries and in the blood that Artemis was attacked around 4 a.m. So maybe she went to the the 10th floor to, to meet Artemis. That didn't work out. So then she went down to the ninth floor. She met up Dawn. They took the stairs to the 10th floor. They beat the shit out of Artemis. They went back down to the ninth floor to kind of cover their tracks. That's a that's a great possibility that that's what happened. The, the next theory is this was the 30s. The, and the Kansas City mob was very active during this time. So people speculate that the housekeeper, Mary Soapdick, because <laughs> she mentioned that Artemis was so afraid... And he was constantly keeping the, the the shades closed, barely answering phone calls, lights were off, acting just very weird that maybe he got involved with the mob and they were after him. And that would explain why he was bouncing from hotel to hotel to hotel using multiple fake names. Maybe Don was a friend of his who was trying to keep him safe or maybe he was part of the mob. Uh, but either way, like the mob ended up fighting him and ended up killing him. And that also goes into or also plays into the fact that he was tortured over a long period of time like beaten to death um that is 
you know, mobs. <laughs> and yeah, who knows? It is mobs. They're mobs. Next one is the Artemis was really engaged to another woman and cheated. And the two scorned women found out and planned their revenge. Maybe the yelling heard by room 1048 was actually Artemis and yell and women yelling at each other. Next theory, which is my personal favorite, is that Artemis was engaged to a woman. She was yes. Louise. She was the girl that sent the flowers. Yes. But Artemis was gay. And yes. Dawn was his lover. Yes. Now, both Louise and Dawn did not know about each other. So when they found out about each other, they met and they decided to plan the revenge. Oh, damn. And the two of them murdered Artemis and then fled. This theory makes sense because, one, Artemis stayed at multiple hotels with Dawn under multiple names. Two, the night of the murder, room 1048 heard two men and one woman yelling. Um, the elevator operator also saw a woman and a man. Three, after it was announced that he was going to be buried, an anonymous deep-voiced man, who we can only assume is Dawn based off of all the other evidence, he called and he arranged for his lover to get a proper funeral. And then when asked what happened, he said it was because Artemis cheated on his fiance, um, and the pair needed revenge. And he never specifically uh, mentioned gender of anything. Mm. Um, four, Louise sent flowers. And five, a man named Don ended up murdering a roommate, in quotes, a few Lol. years later. And his handwriting a roommate that they just like lived together for thirty years and like we're just exactly and never it's like the classic yeah. historian you know they were roommates <laughs> yeah so like the biggest point like one of the big points Don killed his his gay partner um a few years after the initial murder and his handwriting matched the letters to Ruby so there's a lot of evidence that supports this theory and the last final theory which is the saddest one um oh. it's very similar to the one I just mentioned but way sad. Way sadder. Dawn and Artemis were lovers. This was the 30s. Someone found out they were gay and they went after Artemis. Artemis left Dawn to protect him. He started Aww. staying at different hotels under multiple different names, doing anything he could to try to separate himself from Dawn. Dawn found him. He ended up visiting him at the hotel, but the two couldn't be together. So Dawn left. And then later, Artemis was brutally murdered. So Don called and he made funeral arrangements, creating a false story to make the newspapers believe that Artemis was not gay. Um, Don sent the card under Louise, but it was really him because he didn't want to out his lover, which was a thing in the 30s. You could not be gay in the 30s. So that's why like, I personally believe it could even be a combo of the last two theories I just went through. Like maybe yeah. he was really engaged they were having a crazy those people were having a crazy life though in the 1930s though right yeah they're it was fucking wild yeah but either way i like 500 percent believe that artemis and don were gay lovers lovers, yeah 100 (laughs) percent. but i don't know because it it totally makes (laughs) sense that they're like ghosts right now just sitting next to us like no that's that's completely wrong (laughs) they're like it was gerald he's the one who killed us that bastard (laughs) we're like we don't care we don't care. Y'all were gay. Y'all, y'all were fucking. They're y'all like, we were, were not fucking. I'm like, you were, y'all were fucking. Everyone's gay. Yep, everyone's So that gay. is the story of the murder in room 1046. Yes. 486. Yes. Oh, shit. I didn't even think about that the whole time. <laughs> Wild. Wild. 
but yeah so but, that's that's that how's your sex life Channa? great only fans has done wonders beautiful for our sex life so getting fucked all the time Yes. Fucking dudes virtually all the time, and yes. it's, it's a great time making that money. Yes. Um, overall, ten out of ten. Um, it, it's been it's been a good two weeks. It's interesting because we haven't done we haven't released this episode in two weeks. Um, but big thing that happened in the past two weeks is Corey visited us in Utah. That was super super yeah. Fun. Visited for like thirty hours. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. We had so much fun. We got drunk. We played drunk Jenga. We ate snacks. Oh yeah, we cried, had a fun little hugged. party. Yeah, it was. But by party we mean our our COVID bubble. <laughs> so oh, very don't yeah, you very, think? No, very true. Our COVID bubble of seven people. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was really fun seeing Corey, and I get to see him tomorrow. So I am on cloud nine right now. Yes, I'm just very happy. Yeah, I'm that super. I'm so soon. excited for this weekend. This weekend, me we're going too. Camping. Yes, and paddleboarding. I'm so paddleboarding, kayaking on a beautiful lake. So, how was your sex life, Corey? Um, good. That happened that two weeks, two weekends ago. This past week and weekend, I've literally just been waking up, sometimes working out, sometimes not, um, doing chores around the house, and then focusing on writing theory. I'm just reading a ton of writing theory. Um, reading, I've read through a book and a half of the three books that I need to read. So I'm getting some good stuff done. Um, watching movies, reading scripts, just getting like, getting really like progressing a lot through what I need to get through. So it's really good. I mean, I haven't, I just really haven't like, other than that, it's, it's a lot, but like y'all don't really care. It's just like very particular. So it doesn't really matter, but it's really good. Just progressing in what I want to learn. So overall, good week. Good yeah, two no, weeks. Good work. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's been a little tough. Like, I've been very lonely about it, like, sadly. But um, so I've been a little depressive. So I've been fighting that, too. But it's, it's only yeah. just sort of part of the pro, Like, it's just a reality. It's not like a permanent depression. It's just like, oh, I've just been fo- sitting in front of a computer 80% of the time, you know? Man, we need to we need to be better about calling each other. <laughs> because if you called I'm me so during those bad. times... Chances are I'm feeling sad girl at that time, too. We just need to get better. We're just the two worst type of people. It's just weirdly, it's, <laughs> it's just call. a weird anxiety to call. No, it isn't. It is. I just and we've been friends for seven years, and it's still. Call. Yeah, yeah, we just got to because, man, those days you're feeling anxious. I was probably at the warehouse being like, Corey. You're like, well, damn. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's been really good. But, yeah, the past two days, the just sitting at home and being in front of my computer. And then like the only time going out is to like take the dog on a walk or go work out. It's been like a little taxing. Yeah. It weighs on, on you. Yeah. It's been uh, being a little lonely, but it, it's a good lonely. It's a productive lonely. So that's good. yeah. At least, yeah, at least you're doing stuff. Yeah. During it's this a productive. Yeah. Instead of just like aggressively masturbating multiple yeah. times. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> So, well, I do the I do the eye puppet, the puppet one, the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, everybody. Yeah. Anyways, how's your sex life? Bye, guys. Bye. See you next week. <laughs>